We're continuing on in our series uh, covering, covering the book of Ruth. We're in Ruth chapter 2 today. I'm thankful that Amy has already read the chapter. We're, the series that we're in is called Love and Loyalty, and we're going to be talking about the love of God and how uh, He Himself is loyal to us. Um, you know, I, I was telling the first service, I, um, I love getting up early. I'm an early riser kind of guy. Uh, back when I was in college, uh, I would always say, you know, a good day for me is getting up early, getting a cup of coffee, going to the airport, and going somewhere. I love to travel. I love going somewhere, uh, anywhere, to be real honest with you, but up early and traveling. Uh, not so much the traveling anymore. I can do, a little bit some of that, do without some of that, but I, I'm an early riser. I love getting up in the morning. There are, there are nights I go to bed and tell Amy, guess what? In just a little bit, I get to get up early and get a cup of coffee. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. I'll go home and get a cup of coffee in just a few minutes. Uh, I know I'm a, I'm a dork. I get that, all right? Uh, getting up early in the morning, uh, going outside. Now, I'm a guy, if you came to my house, you drive by my house, it's lit up like you could land a plane in my backyard. I'm one of those guys that I have floodlights all around the house. But you go and you turn the lights out and go outside and just kind of sit and be able to take it all in. Uh, guys, there is something, ladies, there is something, if you've not experienced it before, there's something about somewhere between 4 and 5 a.m. dark that's unlike any other dark. I mean, it's dark. You know, you turn the lights out, and then all of a sudden, you're like, whoa. It, I mean, it's dark. Some of you men, maybe some of you ladies, you catch that. You, you like to hunt. You like to fish. You like... You're out early, you're headed out to a deer blind, you're out uh, getting on the boat to go to the, uh, I mean, you're headed out, and it is like so dark. It's so dark sometimes when you're out, you can't like see right in front of you. Some of you, though, I want to say this, that's not just a physical darkness. You know, it's, it's much like that even sometimes with an emotional darkness. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like, man, I, things are heavy, and maybe you've even struggled to see the, the light of the truth right before you? You've had issues like that where, Lord, what are you doing? Well, today, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to be able to look because there's an old saying, you know, about uh, it, it, it's always dark, darkest right before, the, right before the dawn. And I believe that to be true in many instances. You know, in the passage that we read last week, uh, it, cl- it started out with a man named Elimelech. You remember, if, you, if, you, if this is your first week here and you've not been following along with us, I would encourage you to go back and catch up on, online and you can see the series, you can see last week's message. So I'm going to hit just, the, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the highs real quickly. In chapter one, we were introduced to a man named Elimelech. Elimelech lived in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. The house of bread was in the middle of a famine. There was no bread in the house of the bread. And so Elimelech used his best region and his best logic alone. There's nothing wrong with reason and logic, but it has to be coupled with the Word of God because oftentimes the Word of God doesn't make sense in logic. That's not how the Lord works. He works outside of that many times. And what he did was he started using his, his 
logic, his, his best reasoning. And he said, wait a minute, there's no food here. There's food in Moab. Moab was a pagan country. They were, they were horrendous. No good Jew would ever go to Moab to leave. They wouldn't leave the house of bread to go to a foreign, a foreign country, a foreign god with the things that went on there. But he used his best logic. What looked like a good, good decision was really a terrible decision. He gets to Moab. The scripture tells us he's not even there very long, and he dies. There, there uh, his wife Naomi is left with her two sons. Their two sons end up marrying Moabite women. Now, listen, the word of the Lord uh, came and said to them in the Old Testament, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Exodus, you're not to marry foreign women or foreign men. Don't give them in marriage to, because it will drag you away from the one true God. They married Moabite women. Uh, the Bible tells us in chapter one that within 10 years, within 10 years, they had died. So here's Naomi. She's now a widow in a foreign country. She has no husband. She has no children. Those two are dead. And she has no hope. What does she do? She, she does have two pagan daughter-in-laws, and those daughter-in-laws and Naomi, they decide we're going to go back to Bethlehem because the word had come that there is a harvest that's happening. You see, the light begins to come. See, Naomi was in a very dark spot. No husband, no kids, no future, no hope. I don't know what I'm going to do. And the, but she hears there is now a harvest of bread that has come back to the house of bread. So she loads up. She takes her two daughters with you. Somewhere between where they lived and before they got to Israel, they had a conversation. And Orpah, one of the daughter-in-law, said, I'm going back home. She turns and goes back to her mom's house. She goes back to her foreign gods, and she leaves. Ruth, whom this book is named after that we're studying, Ruth says in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, she tells, Ruth, she tells Naomi, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm turning my back on Moab, on my family, on my God. I'm going with you. She literally uses like marriage language. It's not a commitment that she's making to Naomi. It's a covenant that she's making to Naomi. Not only is she making that covenant to Naomi, she's making it to, to God himself because she says, I'm leaving the foreign gods and where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. Where you're buried, I will be buried. Your people will be my people. And so this is what she's doing. You see, so the light of dawn is now beginning to come. They get back to Bethlehem and it's not long, it's not long before they begin to realize, wait, we don't have any food. But chapter one closes with, there is a harvest of barley happening in Bethlehem. Well, Amy, just a minute ago, she read chapter two. So if you've got a pen, a piece of paper, if you don't have a piece of paper, grab that connect card. It's blank on the backside. I want you to take a few notes. Uh, we're going to jump in into chapter two, and we're going to walk through it really quickly. There are three things that I want you to see about Ruth from chapter two that I think are really important. And the first one is this. In fact, let me give you all three of them, and then we're going to come back to the first one. The first one is this, is that Ruth wasn't lazy. Ruth was not a lazy woman. The second thing is this, is that Ruth wasn't lucky. Ruth wasn't lucky. The third thing is this, is that Ruth was not left behind. So at the beginning of chapter 2, let's start talking about how Ruth wasn't lazy. 
Chapter 2, verse 2 says this, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Naomi was her mother-in-law, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Naomi said to Ruth, Go, my daughter. They end up back in Bethlehem. We don't know how long it is, but they're there. And all of a sudden, it becomes a reality. We've got to pay rent and we've got to have food. There is no food in the cupboard. This is hard for many of us in here. I'm going to look around and say for most of us in here, because we've never experienced poverty like this, where there was absolutely no food in the cupboard. But you realize, don't you, in every nation and in every culture at every time, there's always been poverty that has happened throughout the world. Well, God in his sovereignty, God in his uh, common grace, if you will, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, write that down. I want you to come back and see it. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, he made a provision for his people, the Israelites, for them, for those who were in poverty, those who were in poverty. Here's what he said. He said, listen, you're going to be able to go out and you're going to be able to glean in the fields. Let's say you didn't have enough money. Let's say that you'd fallen into um, Uh, servitude. You had to borrow money, and then you had been now indentured, a bond servant to someone. You were bonded to them, those people for uh, as a servant, and you weren't able to even work your fields. He says, listen, what I'm going to do for my country, for my people, is this is going to be their provision. It won't be a handout. You've got to go and work, and here's how this is going to work. When you go into a field, your own field, you're going to reserve the corners and some of the fringes for those who are less fortunate and those who are poor to be able to come and they can harvest. They can glean among your harvest. This was the way. This was subsistence farming. This was subsistence living for those who had no way. Now, you need to catch this. Ruth Ruth wasn't lazy. Ruth realized. She looked around and said, we don't have anything to eat. Naomi is old. I have to go. I need to get busy. The faith that now I've expressed in the one true God, the one I've made a covenant to, now I've got to begin to act and go. Now, I want to be really clear right here. Make sure everyone hears this. You realize that our God is sovereign and that without him giving us faith, we would never turn to him. Our salvation is dependent on him and him alone. He opens our eyes. He places faith in us, and then we respond to him, and we surrender our life to him. How does that work? I don't know, but I know that everywhere in Scripture, God is the one who is responsible for salvation, and everywhere in Scripture, man is responsible for following after him and expressing faith in him. So here Ruth, I want you to hear this, here Ruth has surrendered in faith to the one true living God of Israel, and now she begins to walk that faith out. She begins to live it out. James tells us that faith without works is... Let me say that again. Faith without works is dead. That means that if I'm saying, God, I faith you, I trust you, you're the one true living God, I'm asking you to move in this situation. We don't sit around and put our hands together and wait. We live out and act out. We work out our salvation. 
It's not we work for our salvation. We work it out. In life's darkest moments, in the moments when she looked around and there was no food in the cupboard, there was no, how are we going to pay bills? What are we going to do? She said, I'm going to begin to act out my faith. The one true living God that I've surrendered to, the one who I now follow, I've turned my back. There is a provision. I'm going to go now and I'm going to go work. Folks, oftentimes what I find is that when we get into life's dark moments, where some of you may be today, some of you may be in a very dark moment and you're sitting back and you're just, Lord, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what's going on. Lord, I've got, I, I need you to move. Lord, I need you to do something. I, this is a situation that I don't know how it's going to be fixed. It's broken, and I need you to bring it back together. And what I find so often as a pastor is that in life's moments like that, we begin to retreat, and we begin just to wait on the Lord. We withdraw from the very people where we, who we need the most rather than leaning in and being a part of his body rather than I don't feel like reading. No, I, I listen in faith because I believe the, the, the father God is going to move. I'm going to go hear his word and I'm going to begin to walk in the word that he gives me. You know, oftentimes there are days when we just don't, and I need you to hear me, you may not even feel like being here today, you feel like things are so dark. But I want to say this to you, thank you that you walked in faith and you came in to sit under teaching. You came to sit under the singing of God's word. You came to sit next to brothers and sisters. That's walking in faith. You see, Ruth wasn't a lazy woman, she was a faithful woman. She walked out what it is that she said she believed. The God that she says, I'm going to trust. Halfway to Bethlehem, when she got all the way there in the midst of a dark time, she continued to exercise that faith out. She walked in that faith. The, the early church father, St. Augustine, the North African uh, bishop, is quoted as saying this. He wrote, we pray as if everything depends on God and we work like everything depends on us. You realize that everything that you have in your life today, your house, your cars, your clothes, your, your Nintendo Switch, your, your truck, your business, whatever it is that you have today, you didn't do that on your own. You realize God, that came from the hand of God. He is the one who gave that to you. Now, you had to get up and you had to go to your job. You had to walk that out. You had to uh, do the work. And then you chose how that was going to happen. But ultimately, everything that we have, it comes from his good hand. It is him who gave that to us. This is what we begin to see exhibited by Ruth. Ruth said, listen, I'm not sitting back. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to walk out. I'm going to live out the faith of the one who I have said that I've surrendered to. That may be a word to you today. I have a feeling that there are those of you in here, you're, you're, some of you are sitting in a very dark moment right now. You're sitting in a dark moment. Just like when Naomi was in uh, Moab with no hope, no husband, no kids, no way to survive. In the darkest moment, she gets word that the dawn is beginning to happen. There's a harvest in Bethlehem. 
I'm going to exercise. I, listen, I don't know what they're going to think of me when I go back, but I'm going home. Today, the Lord is calling us. Listen, we walk in faith. Don't be lazy. We walk in faith and we exhibit the faith of the one that we say we follow. Number two, quickly is this. Not only was Ruth, was it that Ruth wasn't lazy, Ruth, she wasn't lucky. I want to make sure that you know that, all right? She wasn't lucky. Look at verse three. Verse three says this to us. So after she told Ruth, I'm going to go glean. She, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened, circle happened, underline, mark it, write it down, something. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Listen, um, in the day in which this was, they, uh, a, a landowner... Uh, the nation of Israel, would had it been allotted fields, all right? Uh, some had large fields, some had small fields. Do, and the way that they marked those fields were they would take boundary markers, boundary stones. Some might have been round, some may have looked like a tombstone, some may have looked like a flat stone that would have been engraved. And it was marking the edges of the field in which you worked. I don't know if you've ever read in Proverbs, one of the Proverbs says, don't move the ancient boundaries for the Lord cares for the children of those who, uh, of, of those who are fatherless. What that passage is saying is that those boundary markers, they marked the, the way that those families would have a field. They would have a provision. And he says, listen, don't go move them because when you do that, you're stealing, you're robbing, and the Lord will, ca- will take care of those from which you do that. So here's what Ruth would have done. She would have gone into the field. If you can imagine, any of you UT fans, what the checkerboard looks like uh, at, at a UT game, orange, white, orange, white, the checkerboard, that would have been at some level, depending on how much land and the size. You might have walked into a room and, oh, Elimelech's got this, Boaz has got that, Jedediah's got this, Ben's got that, The scripture says that she went out and it just so happened. Can you imagine that? I mean, it just so happened. She went into the field that that Boaz owns. And who was Boaz? Oh, he was part of the clan of Elimelech. It just so happened. Guys, I need you to hear this. Ladies, I want to make sure that I'm really, really clear here. Things just don't so happen in God's economy. They don't just so happen. Our God is a sovereign God. When you see what it says here, it says, she just so happened. This is the creative way. This is the irony that's built in by the author to say, ding, 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 ding. Listen, trace the hand of God here. You need to trace his hand. He didn't, she didn't just so happen. Did you look at verse four? Look at verse 4. And then here's another shining mark. Behold, take look. Behold, Boaz just so happens now to come to his field. No, 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 no. That's not that. uh, Nothing just so happens in God's economy. That would be like saying, you know, I go off to a school in West Texas, Christian school, I run out of money, 
I turn tail and I go home, dejected. And you know what? It just so happened there was a cute little brunette at my home church. It just so happened. Oh, it wasn't just so happened. It just so happens that we end up through a series of like circumstances, if you know what I mean, we end up getting married. Just so happens that it happens. We move off to seminary for me to go to seminary. And you're not going to believe this, but on day one, day one, I'm standing in line and I meet a guy named Patrick Hood. Day one. Just so happened that that happened. Just so happened. What didn't just so happen is, is that I finished before he did. That didn't just so happen. <laughs> I finished before he did. And you know what? It just so happened I end up at a church in Florida, and it was the craziest thing. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. We were having a revival, and the pastor of Life Point Church, First Baptist Church, Smyrna, Tennessee, came to preach at that revival, and he said, hey, do you know a youth pastor that I could use? I need someone to come be a youth pastor. That just so happened. How ironic that that happened. And I said, I know a guy named Pat Hood that would be a really good youth pastor for you. Just so happened. Just so happened that we stayed connected throughout the years, and 21 years ago, the Lord just so happened to bring us here. And it just so happened that about three years ago, the flaming redhead who used to be the pastor here decided he's going to leave, and it just so happened I ended up here. Just so happened. Folks, that's not how the Lord works at all. That's not how any of this works. You know why? Because he's always working. Acts chapter 17, Paul is speaking, and Paul says this. He says that the allotment of our time, the days, the boundaries have been set for every one of us. Do you realize that every day for you was written before one of them came through? Do you realize, do you realize that he knows the number of hairs on your head? Some of you have a high number, some of you have no numbers low numbers. It just so happens. No, 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 no. There's nothing that just so happens. That's, there's not luck. There's not chance. This is the sovereign plan of God. You've heard me say this now all through Jonah. I've said it a few times. I want to repeat it again here. We in our life may be able to notice one, two, maybe three things that the Lord's doing But the Lord is doing 10,000 other things in your life that you and I have no idea about. And he is orchestrating all of the dark moments, all of the victory moments, all of the, the moments that we wish would go away. Do you realize he takes all of those in his economy and he mixes them up and makes a beautiful life for you in some way? How does that work? I don't know. And some of you go, listen, my cake just fell. I feel like I'm in a dark moment right now. The ingredients of my life, here's what I can tell you. Where you are is by the sovereign plan of God. And I don't know, I don't know why you're there. I don't know what he wants to do. In your dark moment, I need you to know that your 
Tragedy can turn to triumph. Your dark moment, if you hang on and you continue to walk in faith, you exercise the faith, you're not withdrawing, you're leaning in. I need you to know His sovereign plan will work out for your good and for His glory. This is how He works. This is what God does. There are no happenstances in life. I want you to see a couple of things, though, really quickly about Boaz, because Boaz is a very unique man that I think is really important for us to catch, because Boaz plays a huge role that I want to talk to you about here. Look at the very first thing that we see about Boaz in verse 1. In in verse 1, do you see how Boaz is is, uh, talked about? It says that he was a worthy man. He was a worthy man. He was a man who knew God, who followed his law. He was a man of influence. He, the scripture tells us, we're going to see in chapter 3 next week, that when he went to the city gates, he knew people and people knew him. He was a man of wealth. He was a man of income. The scripture tells us even right here in chapter 2 that he owned a field. Not only did he own a field, he had reapers and harvesters. He had foremen. The scripture says, he, he tells Ruth at some point, he says, hey, listen, you work with my young girls. That's not his daughters. He would have said his daughters. He had people. He had people. This was a worthy man. The second thing I want you to see is in verse 3. Notice that it says that he was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, a clan, in case you're not certain, let me get you caught up here. Uh, We don't talk about clans of people like this. It's a family. He was a part of a family. And as that part of that family, he was a part of a larger group of extended family, which then would have been part of a larger group of, uh, of Elimelech's family. They would have all been connected. Was, was he an uncle? Was he a cousin? Was he, I, I don't know, but he was a part of, he was a distant relative, the scripture tells us, of Elimelech. Elimelech who had gone away. Elimelech who didn't honor the Lord, who was disobedient. Elimelech who, because of what he did, Naomi was in a dark spot. But he, what we see here is that there is a worthy man Ruth just so happens to end up there, and behold, Boaz comes, and this worthy man who is a part of the family, then in verse 4, notice the third thing. He was a worthy man. He was a part of the family. The Scripture says that Boaz, look, look how he spoke to the people. When Boaz rolls up, Boaz speaks to his employees, and he says, the Lord be with you. And what did they say to him? Notice what it says, the Lord bless you. The Lord be with you, and the Lord bless you. Now listen, some of you in here, you, uh, most of us in here, you work for somebody, you, you either work for the man, or some of you are the man. Do you talk to your boss, and does your boss talk to you that way? And does he roll in and say, Lord bless you, and you go, bless be you. No, that's not how, uh, we don't typically do that. What, he, what this passage is letting us understand, what he's driving home, is this was a man who loved God. This was a man who followed after his law, obviously because he had a field. He had a field and he had allowed the corners and the fringes to be left alone so that those could then come. Here was a man who cared about his employees. Here was a man who wanted to bring life to his employees. Here was a man who looked around and said, listen, I want to bring good 
to them. Uh, men in this room, if you're a man in this room, I would like for I want to make sure that we're 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 like communicating here. W- would you be listed as? Would your husband, your kids, your employees, the people around you, would they describe you as a worthy man? A man who loved God. A man who, when he came, cared about the people that were around him. Would you be described as a worthy man in your home? Would your wife look look around and stand up and testify? He brings life to this home. He cares. When he comes, there is a blessing that we feel. I mean, we sense the blessing. Listen, uh, if, if that's not you when you walk in, join the club. We all struggle with that. We all struggle with it. But here's what I want us to see, men, is that we are called by God to be men who are worthy of the name that we proclaim. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ in here, we should walk worthy of the calling that we have been given. We should walk worthy of the name. Men who want to bring blessing, men who want to breathe life, men who want to be blessed and bring blessing. This, uh, if you're a single woman in here, if you're a single woman in here, this is the man you want to look for. Someone who brings life. Someone who loves God, who follows after him. Somebody who surrenders their life to Jesus and say, this is what I want to be. Single guys, listen, you, you need to be, this is a model for you. This is where we want to be. This is what it is that God has called for us to be. And you know, a person's character, so often, a person's character is so often not seen in how they treat the people who are maybe a station above them. A man's character, a person's character is seen in how they treat those who have nothing to offer. They have nothing to offer. They're either on the same station or below. Those who are on the fringes, just like those fields are left, the corners of society, the fringes of of society that are left open. Listen, let me ask you, how are you walking in the lives of people who can't do anything to advance you? Men, We're called to be like Boaz. Why? Because ultimately, Jesus was the greater Boaz. We'll see this. I want you to hang on to it. But as we follow after Jesus, we're reflecting also the worthiness of Boaz because he followed the Lord. And as we follow Christ, we're walking in that. Ladies, that's the kind of man you want to marry. Notice, though, what it says when Boaz rolls into the field. Do you notice Boaz didn't say, hey, who is she? Who is that over there? Who is that lady? Who is that girl? No, it said, whose? W-H-O-S-E. Did you see that in the passage? Whose? What he's asking is, is whose family is she a part of? What clan is she a part of? He wants to know. And in verse 6, the foreman says this. She's not a part of any clan. That's a foreign woman. That woman is from Moab. This is the woman that all of the town knows about. 
This is the woman who, who was the Moabite who left, and she is the one who has been serving uh, Naomi. She's the one who is following her mother-in-law. She's out here busting it. She's, she's not stopped except to get a drink. She is killing it out here so that she can take some food home. Uh, guys, I wanna, let me speak to you for a moment. If you're a single man out here, if you're a single man, that right there is the kind of woman that you should be looking for. That's the kind of woman you should be looking for. A, a, a woman who loves God first and foremost. A woman who loves God, who honors her commitment. One who is hardworking, who is diligent. One who seeks to honor the commitments that she made. Men and women in here, uh, if you're single or if you were single at one point, that should be most of us in here, we all come together when we're looking for who is right. And we, we typically have a list of things that we're looking for. You, 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 you've made a list. You're checking it twice. You're finding out that, hey, listen, uh, for most people, it's going to have all these physical characteristics. You want them to look good. You want them to be in the right spot. They need to be able to do these types of things. All of those are important. Don't get me wrong. But ultimately, do you know what the most important thing is? Is the character of the person. Who they are in Christ. Do they know Jesus? The Scripture tells us that... Beauty is fleeting. Charm is deceitful. Specifically, that's in the context of a woman. But I need you to know, men, your muscles are going to get flabby and your gut's going to hang over your belt. But your character of who you are in Jesus Christ is what stands. And this, this is what we see in Boaz. In verse 11, Boaz rolls up. He starts talking to Naomi. Hey, I've heard about you. Thank you thank, thankful for what you're doing. I need you to know the Lord is going to repay you, and he's going to give you a full reward. He's going to give you a full reward. The Lord's going to take care of you. You've committed to him. You stay the course. You stay with him, and the Lord will provide for you. What, what Ruth doesn't realize is that Boaz is part of that provision doesn't realize it. And some of you are in a dark, dark moment right now, and you don't realize that the Lord has been positioning his provision near you. And he's called us to continue to walk, even though it feels like the darkness is thick, even though you're struggling to know what is the right next step, you do all of the right next steps that we see from Scripture. You continue to walk in that. Verse 14, then Boaz invites her to lunch. Literally invites her to lunch. They come and sit down in verse 14. In verse 14, as they're eating, he passes her grain. He passes her bread. He says, dip it, dip your morsel. You eat, and the next thing you realize, she's got a to-go box. Literally, it says, she packs up so that she can take home to Naomi. As she goes back to work, he says, listen, you come, you drink. When my men draw the water... You come and sit with them. You make sure that you are taken care of. They're going to protect. He looks at his foreman and says, listen, don't just let her glean. You put her among the sheaves. The bundles, you let her glean there. You go ahead and you begin to pull out. 
Guys, ladies, I don't care where you are. The Lord is providing things for you that we don't even recognize. If you're like me, I'm assuming we're like this. The goodness of the Lord and what we end up doing oftentimes is I want more, I need more, I need more, I need more. We, we, we tend to not recognize all the blessing that the Lord has brought. He's providing everything that she's going to need. And the scripture tells us, the scripture tells us that when she, that, that she continued to work, she continued to move forward. And, and I, I want you to check this out. The harvest, it says, it started with the barley. By the end of this chapter, it says that she has stayed with her mother-in-law through the, bar, through, the, through the barley and the grain, the barley and the wheat. That's usually about somewhere between uh, six, seven to nine weeks of harvesting. The scripture says that she took home an epa, an epa a grain. Do you know how much an epa a grain is? An epa a grain is somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of grain. That day, that day, guys, that's another good thing. She carried home a sack, a 30-pound sack of wheat. Well, strong woman. I'm joking about that, okay? <laughs> Doesn't hurt, but I'm joking about that. Can you imagine the provision of the Lord, uh, listen, over that amount of time, if the Lord allowed that continue, she would have taken home somewhere around 3,000 pounds of grain. You want to talk about immeasurably more than we could ever think or ask. This is what our, and, and that was luck, right? <laughs> I mean, seriously, she ends up, just so happens, she's in Boaz's field, just so happens, oh, behold, look, Boaz, he rolls in. Just so happens, she was able to gather up all this. No, listen, the Lord was orchestrating all of that because in the darkest moment, he was bringing forth a redeemer, bringing forth a redeemer. Look at the last thing real quick, number three, and I close out. Not only was she not lazy and she wasn't lucky. She wasn't left behind. Verse 20 and 21 says this, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, stop right there. Naomi has taken, or Ruth has taken home 30 pounds of grain. Naomi says, where'd you get this? She said, well, the guy I was working in his field, he let me gather all this. He, in fact, here's some food for you. Now catch this. They didn't have anything to eat. Naomi just got like a meal. Now we have grain whose field were you in? She says, a man named Boaz. A man named Boaz. Verse 20, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, that man, Boaz, that man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers, and Ruth the Moabite said, and besides all that, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. Do you remember when last time we really talked about Naomi last week? She was destitute and she was bitter. She said, listen, don't call me, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasantness. Call me Mara because my life has been bitter. The Lord has dealt harshly with me. And here, all of a sudden, the blessing of the Lord comes to her. She begins to recognize what was a dark moment. The light has begun to shine. She begins to see. And Naomi begins to praise God. 
She begins to call out to him. Listen, may he be blessed by the Lord. His kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And by the way, Boaz is one of our redeemers. He's the one that is going to take care of us. There's a, there, this is what the Lord is going to do. Leviticus chapter 25 and 27. Write that down. I'd like for you to go look at it later today. Leviticus 25 and 27. You're introduced by the hand of the Lord. He wrote into the law a principle called the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer was the one who, let's take Ruth. Her husband was dead. There was no one to care for her. She was destitute. The kinsman redeemer by law would come and help to buy back, to redeem some land and property for them. Uh, it, it would be paying them out of debt so that they would be provided for a provision of the Lord, a provision of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 25, write that down. We've already talked about 24, 25 now then, the kinsman redeemer, in many cases also, if, a, if, a, if a, 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 a man dies and he's not left children, in many cases, that kinsman redeemer would marry that woman so that he could continue to have children, a male, so that the clan, the family, the line, the property would continue on. This is what she's calling out. The principle that you see here is a principle called hesed. Hesed, H-E-S-E-D. I spelled that out because I want you to go look at it. H-E-S-E-D, hesed. Hesed is this. It is the steadfast love of the Lord. It's the steadfast love of the Lord. Theologian, author Daryl Bach says this, has said is, the, is all the positive attributes of God, his love, his covenant faithfulness, his mercy, his grace, his kindness, his loyalty. In short, it's all the acts of devotion and loving kindness that go far beyond the requirements of duty. In the scripture, church, in the scripture, in Proverbs, when you read about the steadfast love of the Lord, in Psalms, when you read about the steadfast love of the Lord, this is Hesed. This is his covenant love, which he will never turn away from. And you know what? You know what's happening here? What's happening here is, is Ruth covenanted. God, I'm with you. I turn away. And you know what God is now doing? His covenant is not turning away from Ruth. Though it is a dark moment, he says, the light has come. I have a redeemer for you. There is provision for you. You don't know where it's coming from. It's coming from me. You don't know how it's going to happen today in here, church member. You don't know how it's going to happen. The dark moment that you're in, you don't know how you're going to get out of it. You don't know where it's going to happen. You're going to continue to walk in faith, and you're going to trust sovereign God to know that he's not left you. He's not forsaken you because Jesus himself paid your price. He paid your penalty. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you've surrendered your life to Jesus. It's been paid for. He will not leave you or forsake you. Though it feels like the dark is so dark, you feel like you've been left alone. 
The scripture helps us to see. We work out our salvation. We continue. We don't work for it. Jesus has given it to us. He has paid the price on the cross. And now I, in faith, I walk out that covenant. Kind of sounds a little bit like marriage, doesn't it? You see, our marriages are never an end unto themselves. You know, the scripture says in Ephesians that it's a marriage. Paul says it's a marriage. I mean, it's a, it's a mystery I'm talking about, not the mystery of marriage. What, what the mystery is, is that our marriage is meant to reflect our relationship of how Jesus loves the church and gave his life. This is what we do. This is how we, our loving kindness, our steadfast love for our spouses, this is what this is about. This is what you're seeing here. This is what he has called us to. This is what, this is the covenant that he's called us to. And in these dark moments, for some of you, he's called you just to keep walking, keep trusting me. You do all of the things that my word commands you to do. You be faithful. Because here's what, here's the promise. When you're faithful, his word is always true. And he will do, he will not leave you. You want to talk about a dark night. How about the night Jesus was in the garden when everyone had forsaken him? You want to talk about a dark morning when the sky went dark when he was on the cross? You want to talk about a dark moment for his disciples is when they took him off that cross and they put him in a tomb and they rolled it over. The scripture says they went and they hid back in the upper room and they were trembling because they knew they were next. But in the darkness, what we know is that the dawn began to come. Literally, the Sunday morning dawn, when they went to the tomb and it had been rolled away, that Jesus was alive. He said, listen, uh, why did you question? I told you this was going to happen when I was with you. Folks, hey, right here, that's a question for you and me, isn't it? He says, why are you questioning me in your dark moment? Because I've told you, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I won't turn my back on you. I got you. This is the God we serve. This is the God we serve. I want you to look at one last verse, please. It's in Ruth chapter 2, verse 10. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is our testimony. Ruth 2.10 says this. Ruth's been in the field. She's working. Boaz has brought his provision to her. And she says this. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Church, this is you. This is me. When I was yet far from him, Romans says that while I was still a sinner, Christ demonstrated his love for me. When I was in a far country, he laid his life down. He laid his life down so that I might be able to have a relationship with him. And today, some of you are here in a very dark night, and I need you to hear me. He's brought you here to 
let you realize the dawn is coming. And, he, and if you've never surrendered your life to him, I need you to know he wants to bring his light to you. And it's coming and it's surrendering. It's everything you've put your faith in. All the foreign gods, <laughs> all the things you've said, listen, this is going to help me. This is going to protect me. This is going to be great. This is going to work out. And they've all left you empty. And now he says, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's only by my son. This is the light. Some of you today, in fact, I would say many of you, you've surrendered your life to Christ and you're in a dark moment. I need you to know, you keep walking. Those things that you know to be true from Scripture, you don't bail out on them because your Father's not bailing out on you. You continue to walk because you may turn a corner. You may feel like you're at the fringe, and all of a sudden, the dawn of light has come. The warmth, the protection, it's there. 